You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Rather than pursuing popularity and riches and prestige, rather than pursuing the admiration of others, we are to repent in misery. Why? Because we're so shallow, because worldliness is so rampant, because our attitudes are so wrong so much of the time. Usually this term would go along with hardship and harsh labor. Someone was put under the taskmaster and it says they are miserable. That's what you're to do to yourself. Be miserable about it. You may have heard the message that God loves you, but have you heard that He wants you to be miserable? Well, Pastor Tom will share with us today that nobody likes being dirty. When we draw close to God, it is inevitable that we will discover that we are filthy and stained by sin. Truly, each of us is in a miserable and helpless state because of sin. However, once we're able to see our sin, we can come to the Father, repent, and through Jesus, we can become forgiven and clean. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Colossians chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Cure for Worldliness. Colossians 3, 5 says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You must pull your members back and say, No, no, members, I'm not going there. Practically speaking, what might this mean for you? It depends on what you're struggling with. First of all, throw all your porn away. Cease and desist. Get some accountability for your computer. Pour out your alcohol. Be free of its slavery. Turn from sexual perversion. You're flirting with an adulterous relationship. Run from that. Now, homosexual thoughts, understand those are not from God. They're not natural for you. You're created in Christ. People are not born homosexuals. They choose to be homosexuals. If it were not so, then God would be the one tempting people to do that. It's a sin. Turn away from it. If you have the thoughts, then fight the thoughts. Get help with that. Renew your thinking. Fornication, whatever it may be. The greatest temptation to you in your house to sin might be your couch. You understand what I'm saying? What do you do on your couch? Nothing. You eat potato chips. 27 different varieties. You're gaming all the time, you sluggard. Get up and finish the work. Put away some of your movies. Some movies tempt you to being so vengeful. So you're like, forget this G-rated, R-rated stuff. Some of the G-rated movies are the worst. They have the worst spiritual messages. Some R-rated movies have great messages. I can't think of one right now, but <laughs> I'm sure there's one. Some of, the, some of the Westerns that I used to love, you know, it's all about, get them, kill them, kill them. It's just, and then you go away from that. How do you feel? I'm just, I was sucked into revenge, and I couldn't let go. I had, the guy had to be killed. I mean, smushed killed. I mean, hang them high. And you're like, okay, well, what's that doing to my heart? We're laughing about it. What does that actually do to your heart? Nothing. It's just a movie. Oh, don't lie to yourself. Some of your electronics, they control you. Everyone 25 and under needs to be listening to this. Their electronics control you. You don't control them. You have to control them. Some of you are jealous of someone. That needs to end. You can end it. 
You can end it. You don't have to live a life of jealousy. What, what pain, what torture you put yourself through? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Get busy with that. Get serious about that. That's our responsibility. Next, we see the third grouping in verse 9. This expresses the heart of repentance. Verse 9, be miserable. You know, it's funny. What does it say in the Bible? It says be joyful. No, the Bible says be miserable. If you read the Bible, you're going to be miserable. We're going to talk about that. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Funny because there's a verse that says, you know, your mourning will be turned into joy. And here it says your joy to gloom. This verse includes the inner heart of repentance. Still talking about repentance, here's the heart of it. It's got the inner heart of repentance, but it's also got the outward show of repentance. Notice, God's people sometimes are called upon to repent. In one word, the cure for worldliness could be said as repentance. Richardson writes this, the four imperatives that follow in this verse together call for a deep transformation of attitude toward God. Nothing short of an attack, an attack upon the inner self and its hypocritical attitude will do. What a statement. You ever thought about that? Nothing short of an attack upon the inner self and its hypocritical attitude will do. Be miserable and mourn and weep. You know what miserable means? It means miserable. It means to grieve. It's a very strong term, to count oneself as wretched. When Paul was considering himself apart from Christ, he said in Romans 7.24, wretched man that I am. He understood what he was apart from Christ. Rather than pursuing popularity and riches and prestige, rather than pursuing the admiration of others, we are to repent in misery. Why? Because we're so shallow, because worldliness is so rampant, because our attitudes are so wrong so much of the time. Usually this term would go along with hardship and harsh labor. Someone was put under the taskmaster and it says they are miserable. That's what you're to do to yourself. Be miserable about it. Israel would be mourning and they would be miserable when a catastrophe would come upon them. Here James is saying, consider the catastrophe that is your life and be miserable about your life. By the way, I wonder how all the self-esteem proponents deal with this verse. Be miserable about your life. Don't judge others for all their failures. Oh, you can find lots of things wrong with everybody. You can start with me, make your list, but don't judge them. Look at your own life first. What do you see there? Oh, it's a pretty good life. You're not looking close enough. And then there's mourning, the second term, pentheo. It refers to passionate grief. It was used at a funeral. It says of Abraham in Genesis 23 that he went in to mourn for Sarah when she died and to weep for her. It's like you're looking at your life as if it's dead to the things of God in a sense, that it hasn't grown the way it's supposed to grow, and you're mourning it. You're mourning over sin in your life, in other words. The Word of God shines upon you, and it shows you you're not a good person. You don't love God the way you should. And, and when you get that, when you understand that, you don't run from it. You see it, and you mourn it. It's sad. It's very, very sad. You're uncommitted to Christ. Pastor Rod was emphasizing the sacrifice of this missionary family, but you listen to, to Jennifer, and she sounds like she wants to minister to everyone, if, even as her husband has died. Look at the commitment that family gave to the cause of Christ. And sometimes you're struggling with the smallest commitments. Get out of bed and come to church. Come earlier and get to your community. There's people there that love you and that you're supposed to love. Go to your small group. 
the smallest commitments. Why don't you have more commitment? What, what do you see in your life, spiritually speaking? You should mourn that. And some of you can't even get out of bed. There are many dirty people walking around, spiritually speak, speaking, and they're stinking up the place, frankly. They think themselves beauty queens. They need to listen to the Word of God. Look into the mirror of the Bible. Do you see a beauty queen? I know I don't. I don't see a beauty queen. When, when Tom looks into the Bible, I just see more of what I want to be. I want to be transformed. It's an interesting thing about this mirror. It really is. It's not magical because it's not magic with God, but it's supernatural. It's a mirror that transforms you into its image, into the image of Christ. The more you look with that compliant heart, the more you look into it and say, God, I'm not that yet. Make me like that. The more it works, the more you just read it like, well, I read my chapter for the day. It's not going to work that way. And then the third word, weeping, klao. Did he mean this literally? Yes, he meant this literally. As you look at your life and you understand your life and you don't see humility and you don't see godliness and you don't see a commitment to Christ, you see yourself loving the things of the world. The appropriate thing as you're miserable and you're mourning that is that you would actually shed some tears for yourself. Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians and then he wrote in 2 Corinthians that he had caused them sorrow that was according to the will of God, which produced repentance. And he was glad that it was that kind of a sorrow, a sorrow that led to tears of repentance, not just regret. As Paul moved the Corinthians to godly sorrow, James urges believers to mourn their own sin to the point of tears. Richardson again says, God uses trials to weed out rebelliousness from the heart of the believer. In anticipation of the outcome, however... Serious believers launch a spiritual war within themselves and wreak the devastation upon their own rebellious heart. You get it? Before God brings the chastening hand, bring it upon yourself and mourn. As long as we keep discovering sin inside of ourselves, there will always be room for these godly emotions pouring tears for our sin. Like Peter Peter said, I will never deny you, Lord. And then during his trials, three times, thrice, he denied even knowing Christ. And it says in Luke 22, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. The Old Testament prophets urged this kind of weeping over sin and lamentations. Often the prophets would weep over the sins of the nation. Much of Christ's life had to be described in terms of being a man of sorrows. Why? Because everything around him was unbelieving and rejecting of God and deserving of wrath. The Son of God was walking around on our planet and they rejected Him. Couldn't be a time for gaiety. Even going to the cross... The women come mourning and lamenting him, it says in Luke 23. And Jesus turns to them and says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. You have no idea what's coming upon you. Free translation. Leaders, mourning for sin is part of intercession for the sheep. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past 
and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. It is said of George Whitfield that he would often weep while he preached to lost crowds outside in the open air. And once he explained why he was weeping, and he said, I have to weep for your souls, for you will not weep for yourselves. Later in James, we'll read of the call for repentance to the unsaved rich. In chapter 5, verse 1, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. You think the Bible's exaggerating that? You have no idea the miseries coming upon the law. The description of repentance is extended at the end of verse 9. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This person is turned to gloom because he sees his sin. Gloominess refers to that somber mood and eyes that are downcast. They have frolicked in sin and they've played in their filth and they've laughed at the godly who dare not join them. And now they see themselves in sin. And their laughter is turned into into gloom. Don't make light of your sanctification. Don't make a joke out of everything in life. James writes, that same laughter of the sinner must now look into his future and see something. And when he sees it, stop all that laughing and let it turn to mourning. The judgment that is coming if you don't repent is unstoppable. Turn it the morning quickly. What they used to laugh about in their sin, the exact same thing now they weep over. That is the effect of the Word of God and the Spirit of God upon them. They hear of their sin and it moves them to tears. Someone who has never been moved to sorrow about their sin has never really repented. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, crying over the sins and the judgment of God's people. Chapter 5, verse 15 of that book, the joy of our hearts has ceased, our dancing has turned into mourning, the crown has fallen from our head, woe to us, for we have sinned. Thomas Lee writes, the loud gaiety of worldly people, their frivolity will become gloomy when they recognize their foolish choices. Laughter and joy are not evil, however, the particular moments when we meet God as sinners demand a serious repentance rather than hilarious celebration. The church at Laodicea didn't find anything wrong with themselves. Remember chapter 3, verse 17, because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. My, how God views us. Some people want to abuse this phrase and make it say that the Christian life is to be constantly gloomy. They think that all laughter this side of glory is wrong, but laughter is a gift from God as are expressions of laughter and joy and feasting and dancing. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine. Job 8.20 says, Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, no, nor will he support the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Joy in the Lord is even commanded, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. What? Again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4. Dour Christians are a bad testimony of the gospel of grace. Some people are so serious in their walk, you feel guilty ever smiling or laughing around them, and you shouldn't. They're too heavy, too much of the time. They take themselves too seriously. But this laughter here, this kind of laughter, for this reason, this laughter needs to turn to mourning. It's the laughter of the sinner and the fool. 
Proverbs 10.23 says, Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. The soldiers who arrested Jesus Christ mocked Him as they put the crown of thorns upon His head. They got a good laugh out of Jesus claiming to be a king. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 5 speaks of the song of fools. They just cackle away in their folly, like the uh, kookaburra bird. You ever heard that bird? Just laughs and laughs away. It's a crazy bird. Forget the hyena. That bird can really laugh. You know, Google it sometime, not now. And listen, just laughing away like a fool. That's the fool's philosophy. Eat, drink, and what? Be merry, for tomorrow we die. The dumbest philosophy of life. Tomorrow you die and you fall into the hands of an angry God and you will weep and cry forever. The comedians of late-night television mock righteousness constantly and incessantly, and they are piling up the wrath of God against them higher and higher. They are fools. Do not admire them. He who laughs hard while drunk at night mourns his foolish decision in the morning amidst his vomit and disease. He is a fool. Do not imitate him. The carefree attitude towards sin laughs at the wrath of God, even the mention of hell. But those who are in hell laugh no longer. Instead, they gnash their teeth. If you have ignored or laughed at the gospel before, today is your chance to take the gospel seriously. Turn from your sin. Mourn the fact that you are a sinner and rejoice that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, to save you from your sins. He is the sinless Son of God who died on the cross for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 4 really passes on the wisdom that we all need. There is a time to weep, it says, and then there is a time to laugh. It's not a time to laugh when you see your sin. It says there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. It's not a time to dance when God is convicting you of sin. John MacArthur writes, James is not condemning legitimate laughter or joy, but rather the flippant, trivial, worldly, self-centered, sensual kinds that unbelievers revel in despite and often because of their sinful pleasures. Gloominess is not to be the ongoing demeanor of the believer, but the response to sin in our life. Everything is to be reversed for those who have spiritual insight. Listen to Jesus in Luke 6. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. James just sounds like an echo of his older half-brother who's now in glory. Well, the grand finale of the section is verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. We have a song that we sing about that, to keep that as such an important truth. This returns to the main theme of the section. The main command was submit yourself to God. The main theme is humility. If we will humble ourselves, all of these treasures of sanctification that we want will follow. We must humble ourselves. What does that mean? Lower ourselves. If you will lower yourself, what does exalted mean? It means to be raised. If you lower yourself, God will lift you up. If you lift yourself up, God will lower you down sooner or later. And if you need an incentive, there it is. 
in the presence of the Lord. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. He's watching. Remember who he is. Remember how much he hates the proud man. Remember how, how long that proud man may dance and rejoice in his riches and his sin, but he's going to come down hard and fast. Remember that. And that ought to quicken your pace at humbling your own heart. If you take the medicine that God is offering right here, humility, it'll be rid of worldliness. If you want sanctification, here it is, humility. That's your responsibility. You say, I don't know how to make myself humble. Yes, you can. You can humble yourself. You can lower yourself. How do I do that? First, you lower yourself before God. There's God, and He's great, and I come before Him, and I come to worship Him, and I come to offer myself to Him. How many of you are offering yourselves to God? Here I am. Use me. My job is for you. My home is for you. Everything's for you. Lower yourself before Him. Acknowledge His right to rule. Worship Him. Sing to Him. And as you do that, then go out and serve God's people with humility. Get up from your table as the Lord Jesus Christ exemplified so perfectly. Put on the apron around you. Find someone's feet. Get down on your knees. And as dirty as their feet are, wash them. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated to us. That's how you humble yourself. You can do that. Choose something lowly, something that's dirty, something that is undesirable, something that will get you no accolades from anybody. Find it, choose it, do it. That's how you humble yourself. Perform the dirtiest of all jobs. That'll be medicine to your soul. It'll do so much for you. How do I lower myself? Well, before you speak, let someone else speak in the conversation. Before you give an opinion, ask someone else what their opinion is. Before you get in line, see if there's someone else that maybe should have gotten in line in front of you. Before you spike the football, hand the football to the blockers who got you to the end zone. Before you criticize another for their poor performance, criticize yourself for your impatience. Before you get upset at a leader, offer that leader your help. Before you take offense at someone else's words, repent of your insensitive words. Before you pray for yourself, try something new. Pray for someone else. Lower yourself. Philippians 2, right? Count others as what? More important than yourself. That's how you lower yourself. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. He promised He would do that. That takes faith, but you have to believe that promise. He will exalt you at the proper time. We were in California, and a man got off a bus on Roscoe Boulevard, and he came into the seminary office, and he said, God called me to preach. I'm here to be trained to preach. And the seminary professor said, which, which church has sent you here? And he said, my church back home didn't understand my calling. And the professor said, well, why don't you join the cleaning team first and we'll see. Go find a lowly job and do it. We'll see whether or not your heart is right to ascend the steps to begin preaching God's Word. If you do that, the Lord will exalt you. He'll take care of you. He will lift you up. He will do great things for you. It may not happen in this life, but He will exalt you. You have to believe that. You have to believe in the reward of God. God rewards His servants. He always does. He rewards them now with joy. He rewards them then with glory. Think of all the glory the Lord Jesus Christ is going to have, and He's promised that we're going to share His glory. Whatever glory radiates out from His divine being that will be so bright we can't even look at Him. John said, when I saw Jesus, His face was like the sun shining in its strength. That's the best He could do. His feet were like burnished bronze. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His voice was like the sound of many waters. An awesome description, all that glory the Lord Jesus Christ has. He said He'd share that glory with us. It will splash off of Him and splash all over you. That's the glory that you will have one day. That is the glory of the saints to come, right? That's what you have to believe in. That's why you get busy humbling yourselves now. You do that, and you 
keep your eyes on the prize, sanctification will be a whole lot easier. A whole lot easier. Because it's so hard to be sanctified when you're proud. Where would we be without Jesus? Pastor Tom has shared that God shines His light in our areas of darkness, not that we would be condemned by it, but rather that we would be cleansed and set free from it. True repentance might look a lot like grief, humiliation, and misery, but it's actually us coming into agreement with God. We both agree that our sin is horrible and separates us from relationship. We agree on our need for the cross. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Next time, Pastor Tom will talk about how we deal with not only our own sinfulness, but also the sins of others around us. Should we speak out against the sins of others? Should we criticize the character of our brothers and sisters in Christ? We will hear some helpful scriptures that can point us in the right direction when it comes to our dealings with one another. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hopebiblechurch.org. And be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.